Well, good morning. Thank you, Jalise. That was awesome. So we did a pivot this week. Um, recently, I heard that was someone's uh, word for the year. Not sure I want to claim it, but pivot, yeah. Although we've done plenty of that, haven't we? So um, I wasn't planning on being up here this morning. Christy was supposed to be, and she is homesick. So let's pray for all those, really, that are sick. And um, anyway, so I have uh, great Lisa back there who offered to tag team with me so I didn't have to carry the load alone. Don't you love friends like that? Um, yes. So I'm going to start off our time this morning, and then Lisa will come up and finish it up, and then we'll just be back on schedule. You'll meet with your groups and everything. You don't even know anything happened, right? Okay, except I told you. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so this morning, we're in Genesis 21 through 23, I believe. I'm going to be focusing on Genesis 21, and I know here that the big story is the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham through the birth of Isaac and also the removal of the threat to that heir. But as I've been reading, even prior, the week before, I think it was the week before, maybe the week before that, I've just been really compelled to zoom a little closer um, on some of the women that we've been reading about um, in these stories that we've been reading. So it's going to be a quick look just on a couple of the women um, that we read about this week. So that's Sarah and Hagar, right? So we start in Genesis 21. It's the birth of Isaac. Abraham was about 100 years old. Abraham was 100 years old, and Sarah was approximately 90. And uh, she gave birth to Isaac and it reiterated, I think, at least three times, just as God promised or as he said. So it's very clear that this was God's doing. And um, Abraham obeyed God's word, we read, by naming the child Isaac and by circumcising him. We also see Sarah, who was once filled with bitterness and sorrow and pain and bad attitude. Uh, had a little issues with Sarah, but I got over it. Um, because, you know why we do? Because we see ourselves, right? Um, uh, but now we see that she rejoices over Isaac, and he's God's gift of laughter. We see that Sarah's hardened heart and her painful stage was now, her heart was softened. So we do see laughter as a theme that has kind of been going, running through this story, we read earlier of Abraham and Sarah's laughter of doubt and disbelief to now Sarah saying, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. Her doubt turned to joy. She learned that nothing is too hard for the Lord. The child's name, Isaac, as we just said, would be a reminder of God's faithfulness rather than the parents' unbelief. So let's begin reading in chapter 21, verse 8. And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. 
Isaac was probably around three years old here, and they would have been celebrating the faithfulness of God providing the fulfillment of his promise to Abraham. Verse 9, But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. Some say this laughing was a mockery or teasing. Now here, um, Ishmael, as Hagar the Egyptian, her son Ishmael, would have been about 17 years old. And Isaac's three. So picture that, you know, teasing going on. Um, it happens. But obviously there was a little more here. And all of this is part of the bigger picture, that God had a plan and none of the little things that we look at mattered because he saw his plan through. And we'll see that unfold as we go along. Um, so what we see here as we pause is the continuing tension from really chapter 16, um, this tension between Sarah and Hagar. So let's, uh, let me remind you a little bit. I get my notes mixed up here. Okay, here we go. Hagar is an Egyptian slave girl, a foreigner. She's under the rule of Abraham and Sarah with really not an option whether she wants to go along with this plan or this great idea that Sarah has, right? We read about this in chapter 16. So Hagar got pregnant by Abraham and then felt contempt towards Sarai. Sarai was not kind to her. Um, in fact, she dealt harshly with her enough where Hagar fled, ran into the wilderness. So we see her sitting um, by a spring in the wilderness in chapter 16, and the angel of the Lord found her, and he engaged with her. He called her by name, Hagar, servant of Sarai. Where have you come from? And where are you going? We know he's, he knew already these questions, but he cares enough to sit in the ass, to sit there to listen to the answer. God didn't remove her from this circumstance, but instead God told her to go back to where she came from, but not without hope. He sustains her with a blessing. He tells her that he'll multiply her offspring so that they cannot be numbered. He says, you're pregnant and you shall bear a son. You will call him Ishmael, God who hears. God had heard her in her pain. And in verse 13, she says, so she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. And now, about 17 years later, as they're celebrating Isaac, Sarah looks over and sees Ishmael laughing at Isaac. We're in verse 10 now in chapter 21. So she said to Abraham, cast out the slave woman with her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing or disheartening to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she says, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. 
And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning. Abraham was always quick to obey and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child. And remember, Ishmael is about 17 years old at this point and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put her child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him, a good way off, about the distance of a bowshot. For she said, let me not look on the death of my child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. It's a heartbreaking scene. God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and he became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. It's quite a story, right? <clears throat> Tugs at the heartstrings. Um, there's just there. There's just so much in there. Um, but as I was reading through it, I thought we often equate the love of God in our own lives with things that are good, right? When things are going good, life without pain and suffering, we're like God is good. You know, God is good. When prayers are answered according to what we ask, God is good. What is he when they're not answered according to our desires? Who is God then? Well, we just read about God finding Hagar in her pain. God stopped all the big, huge, monumental things he was doing. Yeah, we know he's omniscient. See, I knew I wasn't going to say it right. Come on, help me out. See, even you guys can't all say it right, so I feel good. Okay, all-knowing. Okay, I should have just stuck with that. Um, So we know he didn't have to stop things, but to see, to hear, and pay attention to a lonely servant girl in her time of need. He engaged with her, calling her by name, and then blessing her in her pain, giving her hope. So we don't see that she's taken out of the situation. In fact, we read, okay, I guess I left that page at home. We don't see her taking, we don't see her being taken out of the situation. In fact, we see God sending her back into the situation that she was running from. But the difference was he sent her back with hope, um, telling her that she would have a son. And 
um, on that sheet that's laying on my desk at home. Uh, I, it talked about Ishmael, and um, let, let me see if I can just find it really quick here. But uh, I don't know if you guys all felt the same when you were reading about, um, in, that was back in chapter 16, of who he was. Um, let's see. If anybody finds it before I do, help me out. But it's describing who her son is. Yeah, go ahead, Lisa, read it really loud. Okay. So, you know, I read that. I'm like, well, what's so hopeful about that, right? <clears throat> but a commentary I read um, talked about that being him being a wild man and he would go off and live. It was freedom for Hagar that she would be able to live in this freedom that she wasn't in right now. And that was super helpful for that part. I mean, we don't learn too much more about Ishmael or no two more. There's a lot of speculation and different things I have read about even today we are dealing with what happened here, but I'm not going to go there because I'm not uh, well-versed in that. Let's just put it that way. Okay, I don't, ha I don't know enough right now to speak on that. So we're going to stay right here in this, but that she had this hope as she went back into a pretty bad situation that she was running from. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> so it reminds me, there's so many Psalms where David cries the same type of um, cries to God, but one of the Psalms, and I think I pretty much use it every time I'm up here, but Psalms 139 says, oh, Lord, you've examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel. You see me when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and you follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. This big God that is, we're going to read the story of, of what he has set up, and Lisa's going to talk a little bit about the foreshadowing of what these stories foreshadow for us um, which is wonderful, but I love sitting in these small stories of how God meets us in our time of need. What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard. So I don't know today what troubles you. Uh, you might be in a wilderness of your own, feeling alone, feeling isolated. You might be suffering pain, uh, heartache sadness, loss, but this we know, God sees you, and he says, what troubles you, and then he says, fear not, God hears you, he's heard your cry, he'll meet you in your pain, and this is the difference, um, he's present with us, 
So we may not always be taken out of a situation. Does it mean God's not good? No, he's very good. He's with us in whatever we're going through. Um, when um, he, uh, God says in verse 20, and God was with the boy and he grew up. So even with Ishmael, God's with him as he's growing up. So I think that just is what stood out to me. We have a God who hears, he cares. Um, we're going into another year of heartache for a lot of people, of suffering, of isolation. Um, and we can, I think we can fall, at least I can, I'll speak for myself, fall into the trap of like, um, well, where is God? Or recently we had a death in our family, and I've been getting all the, wow, what is going on? <laughs> well, is there like a big world emergency? Feels like it right now. Okay, who's next? Okay. Um, God hears. Okay. Um, <clears throat> let's see, where was I? Um, but... Oh, yes. Okay. So we had a death recently in our family. And um, as the questions come, why would God allow this to happen? You know, why does he heal one and not another? Those are hard. You know, those are hard questions to answer. And there's so much mystery around God. But these are the absolutes that we can go back to. You know what? God sees you in your pain. He feels your loss. And he says, be not afraid. I hear you. And so it's a comfort for me to read these things and to sit in those for a moment, um, to really put yourself in the story of what it would have felt like to be Hagar. And um, so we can say, I'm, I'm guilty of this. Uh, flippantly, God is good when somebody sends you an exciting email, you know. But do I do that when they say I'm struggling? Oh, well, God is good. I guess that one really works sometimes. But truly he is because it's his presence that with him. And I think probably everybody is old enough in this room to have experienced that nearness of God when you're going through a hard time. And so this is what um, I thought about as I was reading through it. Um, one more scripture is hiding somewhere, and I probably had some really good things on my other notes, too, but um, since I wrote them last night, I can't remember. Um, but I love this scripture in Psalms, Psalms 116, 1 through 2. I love the Lord because he hears my voice and my prayer for mercy. Because he bends down to listen, I will pray as long as I have breath. So let's go ahead and pray. Lord Jesus, we do thank you so much for these examples that we see of how much you care and how nothing is too little for you and nothing is too hard for you. Lord, you see us, you hear our cry, and you provide. You give us hope in the midst of sometimes really hard circumstances, and we thank you for that. We thank you for being present with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Priscilla. 
I, uh, that was, this was good for me because last night as I was, after the kids went to bed, I sat down and we did a devotional during dinner and it went south real fast. <laughs> and everybody would like, Levi was upset. I was mad, seething. And I messaged Priscilla this morning about it or last night and she laughed. And I was like, <laughs> going with the theme of laughter. I'm just kidding. Um, but it was good for me to hear like, just sitting here remembering that God heard me when I was sitting on that chair crying, and he was there, and, and here I am now getting to share. Honestly, like I feel very honored to share this chapter because um, it's kind of the foreshadow of what's going to happen. <clears throat> so let's start with uh, verse 1. It says, After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, <clears throat> whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So let's break down these two verses into smaller bits. Uh, it starts off with, after all these things. And I love how um, Christy, in, on page 37, in that second paragraph, kind of in the middle, she lists all the things that God had put Abraham through. And all the ways that he realized and could anchor his um, uh, trust and confidence in the Lord. And it's almost like he had to experience those things so that God could then, you know, he says, after all these things, he could now move into this huge thing that God's about to ask Abraham. And so then Abraham, so God tests Abraham and he says to him, Abraham. So this is actually the first time that God calls him by name since renaming him in chapter 17. So it's like he's saying, hey, Abraham, father of multitudes, remember that because I'm about to ask you something and I need you to remember that you are the father of multitudes. And so then he says, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and I remember reading in chapter 21, and when God tells Abraham, hey, uh, listen to Sarah, your wife, because really wives are always right, aren't we? <laughs> but I remember thinking, wow, poor Hagar, you know, like she, the poor woman, right? It was Sarah's doing, and then Sarah gets mad at her, and, uh, and then now Hagar has to leave, and God says, just listen to your wife which is truly wisdom, you know. And I realized here, and I don't know if it's, I'm speculating, maybe I, maybe I shouldn't. This was just something that um, appeared to me, that here God is saying, take your only son, Isaac, because God perhaps did not want Abraham to have the option of bringing a different son to this mountain, he wanted just Isaac because it says in chapter 17 and then again in chapter 21, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. So it was through Isaac that God wanted to do this, not through Ishmael. Though I truly believe that God did love Hagar and Ishmael very much. 
So then he goes on, or it goes on, it says, go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So this area of Moriah, it, ha- it was like this hill, think of like, I don't know, like the Sierras or something where, but much smaller, uh, maybe the coastal mountains that we can kind of see. And there's like different peaks. And so he's just go to that region. And, uh, and when you get there, I'll show you which one that you need to offer the sacrifice on. And um, so this region, Moriah, is now the region of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem became the capital city of Israel after David defeated the Philistines and then a couple of the Canaanites that were still there. Once that was, once King David defeated that, it officially became the land of Israel. And then Jerusalem became the capital city. And David was not allowed to build the temple because he had too much blood on his hands. So then his son Solomon built the very first temple of the Lord on that mountain where um, Abraham took Isaac. So then the next morning, Abraham rises up early, just like Priscilla said. He does not. He's quick to obey. He didn't waste any time. And he started his trek towards Moriah. Now, this is from where he was to Moriah is like a three days journey. Okay, so I, uh, and at that point, I mean, God had already told him, go and bring Isaac as a burnt offering. So in Abraham's mind, Isaac is as good as dead. So he's walking for three days with essentially a son who is going to die, right? And if we go to uh, Hebrews uh, chapter 11, Verse 17, it says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, for which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So Abraham goes on this three-day journey in his mind thinking, Isaac's going to die, but you know what? In three days, God's going to raise him. Something. He's going to do something, but he's going to bring my Isaac back. And so he even tells his, um, his servants, you know, once they get there, wait here. Isaac and I are going to go up to worship. We'll come back. So in his heart, he knew that the two of them would return, even though God is saying, offer him up as, as a sacrifice. So from this point, what I want to do is compare this story of Abraham and Isaac to Jesus and the crucifixion, um, or Abba Father and Jesus. Okay, so the first one is that Isaac was a miracle, born to Abraham and Sarah at their very old age when childbearing was not even possible. Sarah was like, I never even thought milk could come out of my breast, and here we are, you know, I'm nursing this child. And of course, Jesus is a miracle child as well. Um, born of immaculate conception, you know, Mary was impregnated by the Holy Spirit. And then uh, the second kind of correlation is that they head towards Moriah. Abraham saddled his donkey, took two of his young men and his son Isaac, who I presume was sitting on the donkey. 2,000 years later, Jesus is entering into Jerusalem, which is again Moriah. Jesus sent two of his disciples ahead into the town, they brought out a donkey in which Jesus sat on, as stated in Matthew 21, verse 1 through 7. Um, 
Abraham then gives the, uh, takes the wood of the burnt offering and lays it on Isaac. So Isaac's carrying the wood up the mountain. 2,000 years later, John 19, verse 11 says, Jesus carried his own cross as he was heading towards the crucifixion. Um, Abraham led Isaac up to the mountain to sacrifice. And in here, it says that he went up to worship the Lord. 2,000 years later, I mean, it's hard to imagine God the Father is not holding Jesus' hand and walking him up this mountain. But Jesus was there the night before praying, and he said, Father, Abba, Father, take this cup from me, and but, you know, let it be your will. And so he's still allowing his father to lead him, and he goes up that mountain, just like Abraham and Isaac did. And then in Genesis 22, um, verse 7, Isaac says to his father, Abraham, hey, pops. And, and Abraham says, yep, what's up? And he says, here, he said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. Keynote on the article, the, in front of lamb. And so we fast forward just a couple of verses. When they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar. He bound up Isaac. He's on the wood. He's ready to go. He has his hand up with the knife, about to slaughter. And the angel stops right at the last moment. And um, he's, then they says, Abraham, Abraham, father of multitude, father of multitude, he says. Here I am, Abraham responds. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for I, now I know that you fear God. And then after that, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw, or and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by the horns. So initially, Abraham said that God will provide the lamb. And here he's saying there is a ram, just any old ram. So not quite the one, right? Fast forward 2,000 years later in John 1, as John the Baptist is preparing the way, it says, the next day he, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him. Behold, he says, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so the Lamb is now here in Jesus. And after the sacrifice of the Ram, Abraham called the place, uh, named that place, the Lord will provide. And um, so many scholars believe that Jesus was crucified on the same mountain. And if not, the exact same mountain, at least in the same region. And there's something really cool about the name Jerusalem. So Jeru in Hebrew means flow, as though something is flowing down a river or flowing from your hand or flowing as you're pointing to something. And the word um, salam, it comes from or derived from shalom, which means peace or whole or complete. So together, Jerusalem means pointing the way to completeness. And if you go to John 13, 19, verse 30, when Jesus is towards the end of being on the cross, it says, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. And it blows my mind that here, when Abraham when God told Abraham, take Isaac to Moriah, it wasn't even named Jerusalem yet. 
But God already in his mind knew this place would be the place where it was going to be finished, where everything was going to be complete. And for thousands of years, even still now, the Jewish people are still atoning for sin by sacrificing animals. But, and people are trying to figure out, how do I get rid of the sin? God had it all planned out, right? He would complete the thing that he had planned 2000 or well in Abraham's time 2000 years later and it made me think what is God testing in my life right now that could have a ripple effect of like magnitude kingdom proportions 2000 years later if we're still here and what is it that I just need to say yes to and rise up in the early, in the morning and just do it and go right so many times like if I were Abraham I would have been like uh God is telling me to send my kids to school next year. And I cried for a week. And I was like, let me just pray about this for about two months and just make sure. You know, Abraham was like, yes, God, let's go. Not knowing what God was going to do. Not even knowing exactly where to go. But he just said yes. And sometimes I think I need to just say yes more to what God is saying to do. And, um, you know, how has God proven himself faithful to you? in your life so far? And what is it that you need to say yes to as well? Because who knows what he could do 2,000 years later with that simple yes. Just a quick reminder for, <laughs> I think we're cleaning up, right? Oh. Okay. Yeah. So if you can clean up, help, clean up tablecloths, name tags, which I always forget, chairs you need to put, put away, enjoy your almost hour-long discussion. <laughs>